Welcome back to another edition of Takes by the Lake, or maybe Takes by the Bake, or Bake by the Lake. We're considering a name change. Baker Mayfield is a Cleveland Brown, and here we are wrapping up the Browns draft with a Baker Mayfield podcast. This is Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. I went to the dentist today, and I had to get a filling fixed, and half of my face is still numb. So if it sounds like I'm drooling all over myself, I am. Uh, Thanks to you guys for listening. You can find my writing at cleveland.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Lamarice, D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. I'm in on the pick. I'm in on Baker Mayfield. I liked it. I thought it was bold. I thought it was smart. I think he's going to be good. I liked Baker. I went to cover Ohio State USC in the Cotton Bowl. And then I liked Sam Darnold. And I said at the time, it felt like that I was in love with Baker Mayfield. I went to the Cotton Bowl, had a fling with Sam Darnold, and then Baker Mayfield got sick for his playoff. And then I felt bad and was hoping that Baker would take me back. So I kind of was in on Baker. I certainly would have been accepting and was prepared for Sam Darnold. But I like what the Browns are doing. And this podcast... I think will help you like it more. If you like the Mayfield pick, I think you'll like it more. If you did not like the Mayfield pick, listen and see what you think. Two great guests. One is Sam Monson, the lead NFL analyst for for Pro Football Focus. They have been in on Baker Mayfield since the middle of last season, and Sam Monson breaks down why Pro Football Focus analyzed him at such a high level. This is a quarterback that he loves. Other great guest, Jenny Carlson, columnist at the Oklahoman, covers all sports in Oklahoma, and of course that means Oklahoma football. We talk about the evolution of Baker Mayfield as a Sooner, how fans thought of him at the beginning when he got to Oklahoma, and the evolution of his personality and what that means for Browns fans in trying to embrace Baker Mayfield. Jenny has some really interesting thoughts. Uh, Not everybody at Oklahoma always loved Baker Mayfield. She also talks about his evolution on the field, um, the player he became, what Oklahoma people thought uh, with some of the things he did last year. Really interesting, I think. If you think you know Baker Mayfield right now, at the end of this podcast, you will know him better. That is the goal here. We're going to start with Jenny Carlson. Really good talk on the evolution of Baker Mayfield. And then we'll get to Sam Monson. Really good talk about why this guy is the perfect analytical quarterback for a changing NFL. This is Takes by the Lake. Thanks to you guys. First, we go to Jenny Carlson. We're thrilled to have Jenny Carlson, the great columnist from the Oklahoman, here with us. Jenny um, covers everything in that state, and we know how big of a deal uh, Oklahoma football is there. So, Jenny, watch the evolution of Baker Mayfield, and thank you, Jenny, for taking time out of your day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. As, as much as people there are interested in Baker Mayfield, we've been living it for three years plus. So, yeah, we're right with, right there with you. So, so, Jenny, I'm really curious about, like, Cleveland now is getting the, the fully finished product of Baker Mayfield, obviously. And I'm curious um, to watch the evolution of Browns fans come around on this guy. When he got to Oklahoma, when he showed up as this guy who had – played pretty well at Texas Tech, and then showed up at Oklahoma, beat out the incumbent starter, and, and became the guy in 2015. What did everyone make of him? What did fans make of him? What did you and the media make of him? Did people think like, hey, this is a star here at Oklahoma? Or was it sort of like, okay, well, he won the job, but nobody knows how good he's going to be? Or did people know this is going to be the guy? Yeah, no, I don't think they knew because, you know, when he when he showed up, it was pretty 
unceremonious, frankly. I mean, he had decided to transfer from Texas Tech after, you know, he started as a true freshman walk-on, which obviously was, you know, huge, and people around here were aware of him. But then he had some struggles, and Davis Webb took over, and, and then he decided to transfer. But when he did, Oklahoma was coming off that Sugar Bowl victory against Alabama, mm-hmm. which Trevor Knight was unbelievable in that game. And it really looked like, uh, you know, Trevor had some struggles, but it really looked like he kind of come into his own and maybe figured some things out in that Sugar Bowl game. And so I think the, the thought was, you know, this is a strange place for a guy like Baker Mayfield to transfer because it sure looks like, you know, he's going to have to beat out a really good quarterback in Trevor Knight. Um, so there was some head scratching, I think, there. But, uh, you know, he uh, he had to set out that uh, that year um, uh, with the uh, transfer and then and then, you know, do that. So, I mean, I think it was it was odd timing, but, um, you know, it sort of showed that, you know, this guy was going to jump into the fight and sort of see what he could do. And lo and behold, he won the job, you know, and I think it was it was uh, it was concerning uh, in some ways for Oklahoma fans because, you know, they remember that Mayfield did have his struggles. He was dynamic at some points at Texas Tech, but he'd thrown a decent amount of interceptions. So, you know, they needed to take better care of the football. Well, that would have been sort of the one knock on Trevor Knight was he, he'd had some really costly, um, uh, untimely interceptions and turnovers that had, uh, you know, not worked out well for Oklahoma. So not turning over the ball was, was a pretty big deal. Uh, and could Baker Mayfield do that? And when he showed that he was not only not going to turn over the ball, but, you know, be a pretty, uh, pretty dynamic performer back there with Lincoln Riley commanding the offense, which obviously those two guys, you know, married up their, their, uh, their emergence on the scene at Oklahoma. It became a pretty, uh, pretty explosive combination. And I think people did, uh, you know, rally to really like him. Yeah, there was some trepidation at the start, but, you know, he, uh, he definitely showed himself worthy of that spot. Um, was really a, a fiery competitor, uh, you know, big time winner. And uh, obviously that's something that uh, all, all college football fans love to see as their quarterback. So it didn't take very long for him to win over uh, fans and droves around here. Did, did he come in when he won the job in 2015? What was his personality like? Was he very confident right from the start? Did he sort of have, was he a little bit brash right at the beginning? Or did that emerge more uh, after like in year two and in year three? And, and what was the sort of the evolution of when whenever he did sort of start exhibiting that confidence? Did all Oklahoma fans like that? Or was there ever any pushback from some Oklahoma fans of like, hey, we he's our quarterback, but we maybe think he's a little bit too cocky. Was he like that at the start or not really? Yeah, you know, I think there was always that sense of confidence out of him, you know, when he when he won the quarterback job. You know, I don't think it was um as uh, maybe overt uh, as we saw it later in his career. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I do, but I do think there was a sense of, you know, when he won that job and, and he was going to take over, you know, I think if I, if I remember, you know, there was not sort of a lot of doubt in his mind okay. that uh, things were going to go well. And, you know, I don't necessarily know that there was pushback, you know, again, the, the skepticism of, you know, what we'd seen him do at Tech um, could he could he improve on that? Could he bring the good stuff, but maybe leave some of the other um, not so uh, not so endearing qualities on the field behind? And you know, when he started to show that he was uh, a better quarterback than he'd been at Tech, he was a um, you know a, a better manager of the football, of the game, of the offense, uh, and it really seemed like his style married up with uh, Lincoln Riley. I, I don't really think there were a lot of people that were against uh, against that, you know, obviously it rubbed, you know, fans of other teams the wrong way, but I think as far as Oklahoma fans went, I think that they were very, you know, on board with it. Now, it was different than they'd seen in a lot of their other, you know, beloved quarterbacks, you know, Sam Bradford, uh, Jason White, uh, you know, on down the list of, of guys that had really been successful and loved. That really wasn't their their outward nature. Yes, they were confident, but you didn't sort of get the, you know, me against the world mentality that uh, Baker Mayfield was was you know willing to show, not just have but show it. I don't think that that was that was similar to, to great 
beloved quarterbacks of the past, but at the same time, I'm not sure people were against it because, you know, Oklahoma had had some years where they weren't necessarily down, but they weren't at the at the level where they were, um, you know, going at that point to the BCS Bulls or the playoff or whatever. And so I think the idea that this guy could take them back to that level, and obviously we saw them get to the playoff twice with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, I think that that was, hey, this guy might not be like some of the guys we've loved in the past at that position, but this is also the school that had Jamel Holloway. You know, they've yeah. had guys in the past that were more um, sort of out there than, uh, you know, some of these other guys. So I don't necessarily think it was a leap for a lot of Oklahoma fans. Yeah, I guess if, if you are an Oklahoma fan who at some point in your life has rooted for Brian Bosworth, then Baker Mayfield yeah. isn't too much to handle. Um, <laughs> no. No, not at all. So what percentage, in the end then, Jenny, when when Baker Mayfield was at his most confident, at his most brash, at his most cocky, if some people want to use that word, what would you say in the end was was the percentage of the fan base that was all in, he's our guy, if other schools hate him, great, he's our guy, we Mm -hmm. love him, and what percentage of the fan base was, you know what, I think he does go a little bit too far? What would you say that split in the end of the whole Baker Mayfield experience? What was that split? Well, you know, obviously his his last uh, the last calendar year that he was a Sooner was was rocky. You know, it started with the off field arrest in Arkansas. Uh, then you had the flag planting at Ohio State, which obviously folks there are well aware of. Then you had the uh, obscenity lace crotch grab at Kansas. So there were some things that I think pushed some people into the. I'm not so sure about this guy camp. Uh, you know, I think before the season started, you know, I think the, the arrest caused some people to give some pause. You know, this obviously wasn't a situation where Baker ended up, you know, hurting anybody. It wasn't a DUI. It wasn't a right. domestic violence. It wasn't anything like that. So, you know, I mean, I think there's some people that would say, hey, you know, a college kid who's drinking, who makes a dumb mistake. Uh, there were some people that said, this guy's the quarterback at Oklahoma. You can't do that. So, I mean, I think there started to be some people that said, eh, you know, that's not the type of behavior you want out of your quarterback. But then I think as the season went on, you know, I, I, I do think there were some people who said, listen, you know, you've got to hold the face of the program to a higher level. He's got to represent you better than that. Um, and so I think there did start to be some people that were definitely, um, you know, not as enamored with him as they had been before. Um, you know, so I don't know what percentage that was. It's probably fairly small. Okay. But there were definitely people, you know, maybe 5 or 10% of people that started to say, eh, you know, as much as I love the way he plays and what he brings on the field in terms of, you know, his winning and his abilities – that's not exactly what I want to see out of somebody who's wearing my alma mater's name across the front of the jersey. You know, I have a diploma on my wall that, that says that. You know, people that said those sorts of things, they they didn't really like that. So I think that that did sour some people. Uh, you know, as last year went along and you started to see some of those incidents, he always was very, uh, you know, remorseful afterwards. But there came a point where you were like, I think I've heard this remorseful uh, song and dance before. And, and is this real? You know, is this, does he really, is he really going to learn from that? Is he really going to turn a corner? And, you know, I, I think that sort of remains to be seen in a lot of people's minds. So, Jenny, I always try to, to couch this as a reporter um, and explaining to readers and to listeners Listen, we interview these guys. Sometimes we do bigger stories on these guys. We talk to their teammates. Sometimes we talk to their families. We talk to their coaches. But but I, we don't really get to know them like their friends and family yeah. get to know them. Not like I don't ever want to like be disingenuous about like we know these guys. But in the reporter player relationship, and as you as a columnist, like what was your general takeaway about? the kind of person Baker Mayfield was, the kind of leader he was, his motivations. Like, what was your, after watching this and covering him and writing about him three years, what was your just overall takeaway of what you thought of him? You know, he was always one of the the guys that, you know, was willing to stand up and and talk and, you know, uh, whether it was 
after wins, losses, or, you know, unsavory uh, situations, you know, for example, that uh, incident at Kansas, I was there that day, and, uh, you know, a game that was really not supposed to be uh, anything. I mean, Kansas is terrible, and Oklahoma's fantastic, and we just expected a route and to go on down the road, and, and then for that to happen, and for Lincoln Riley to have to address it, and for Baker Mayfield to have to address it, but, you know, Baker Mayfield did not you know, he didn't shy away. He didn't try to, you know, get to the team bus without having to talk about it. So from that perspective, I mean, while he's made mistakes, he's always been a guy that, you know, has has, has stood up, has, you know, answered for those things, even as I have questioned and others have questioned, you know, is he really going to learn from these things? But in terms of, you know, how we've dealt with him, I, you know, it, that was always, to me, pretty refreshing that, you know, a guy that has as much pressure, as much attention, um, and, you know, bring some of that on himself by, you know, always sort of looking for the chip on his shoulder, you know, has, who's not uh, who's not shied away from that. You know, I think that's a positive. And when you see, you know, the Browns take him first in the draft and you know that they want him to be that franchise quarterback, that face of the franchise, I mean, and all the things that go with that, um, he's a guy that has not, you know, he's always handled that pretty well. He's always been able to, um, you know, go in front of cameras to, to talk to people, to, to be in those situations. So I think from that standpoint, I think that that's a, that's a positive. Um, yeah, so like, like you said, I think that's a great point, Doug, about the fact that you can't know these guys because you really they're showing us what they want to show us. So yeah. I don't pretend to know him, but I do think from that standpoint, um, you know, that's always been a, a pretty, uh, you know, positive thing for him. And I think it's something that he'll carry over uh, as he goes into this next phase of his career. I just w- I want to do one more question on the crotch grabbing because it's been such <laughs> a thing here. Here's my outsider's take on that. So Kansas wouldn't shake his hand before the game. Kansas stinks. If you stink and you won't shake my hand at the coin toss, you've started it and I'm going to end it. And if you (laughs) want it, I'm going to bring it. And that includes throwing touchdown passes and that includes anything else that comes with it because I didn't start this. I put my hand out. Like, why why did Kansas do that? Was there any like is there a backstory of why they wouldn't shake his hand? And like what about that idea of like listen, okay, he grabbed his crotch, but they started it and they stink and then you get you you reap what you sow, Kansas. So tough noogies, Baker's going to bring it. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a dumb dumb choice on their part. There's no doubt about it. You know, I think that I think they've made the comment the players did after the fact that, you know, they felt like they wanted to, to try to, you know, get in his head or get in Oklahoma's head or whatever. I mean, it was a dumb thing to do, and they shouldn't have done it. Um, but at the same time, when you're when you're Baker Mayfield, when you're the quarterback at Oklahoma, when you're in the public spotlight, you know, you have to realize that everything you do is going to be, uh, you know, he even acknowledged after the game. I mean, he knew he was on camera the whole time. He's always on camera the whole time. Everything yeah. he does is being recorded. So, you know, Whatever you want to do, I, I mean, I think that it, that's his prerogative, but he also has to recognize that there's going to be people like me who, after the fact, said, listen, don't do that crap. Don't sink to their level. Don't, you know, yes, they didn't shake your hand, but, you know, aren't you aren't you supposed to be better than that? You know, aren't you supposed to represent your school, yourself better? Um, and I think that there was, you know, I think he's very reactionary, and I think that sometimes he's not had the um, – uh, you know, sort of the repercussions of that stuff. He's he's maybe not sort of uh, been forced to face the the music for some of those things. Whether it was you know high school, Baker can do no wrong. You know Texas Tech, he's the walk on can do can do no wrong. Uh, but he, you know, I think there had to be a point, and I think in the somewhere in the recesses of his brain, I think he recognized, hey, you know, there's going to be people that that probably wasn't the best idea. Much like the flag planting, you know, was it was it uh, you know totally, uh, you know, uh, he didn't break any rules, he didn't break any laws, for crying out loud. It was absolutely, uh, you know, he they won the game. Okay, we get it. Go ahead. But that's going to rub some people the wrong way, including potentially Heisman voters. Uh, you know, in the end, he won the Heisman, but, you know, did that 
that got stick in anybody's brain that, you know, maybe he wasn't, uh, you know, a guy that they totally agreed with everything he did. And it was going to be in the, in the minds of these teams that were going to be looking to draft him. So, you know, he, I think somewhere in his mind he knew that maybe those weren't the best choices. But in the end, that's what he did. And I think that, you know, he definitely had teammates that that was, that was uh, you know, something they thought was part of his leadership. And, you know, great, fine. Um, but, you know, you can still wallop Kansas and, you know, probably do some things that wouldn't have been shown repeatedly on Sports Center, uh, you know, and, and, you know, not sort of had the same, same repercussions. But he's a very reactionary guy. You know, he, he's definitely in it. And, uh, you know, I don't think he necessarily regretted any of those uh, things, but uh, I think they were definitely uh, storylines that might have been unnecessary surrounding him this season um and you know that's that's obviously on him he's he, you know he's uh he's uh, even as a, a you know senior at Oklahoma he was sort of towing the line between that you know college athlete and that pro athlete uh in terms of uh, the, the the criticism that he drew you know you don't, you don't criticize a first year college player the same way you criticize a fifth year college player the same way you don't mm-hmm. criticize a, a professional but I think he was kind of towing that line and I think he recognized that there was probably going to be some some criticism that you know wouldn't come down on a first year guy in his program the same way it would come down on him really interesting I, I want to get one more like sort of personality question in before we just talk about his evolution on the field but Jenny we, we obviously know that when you're the number one pick in a draft, when you're coming to a place like Cleveland that's that's lost for so long, hasn't had a quarterback, winning is what matters, but there's a lot of this face of the franchise stuff that goes with it. That aspect of it, the ability to be the face of the franchise, to handle the spotlight, how do you think he will be at that in the NFL? Do you have any questions about his ability to do that, um, or do you think he'll thrive in that role? Yeah, I mean, I think the the only question I have is from the standpoint of we've not really seen Baker Mayfield be a um, a, a recognized quarterback uh, in a program that hasn't succeeded. When he was in high school, um, he went to a very successful high school in Austin, Lake Travis, and he was he was big time. And high school football in Texas is huge, and he got a lot of attention but they were successful. He went to Tech and, uh, you know, they weren't great, but they weren't awful, at least not when he was playing. So, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have to deal with any of that, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a quarterback there. At Oklahoma, he comes here, they're wildly successful, and he, he runs with it, obviously. The question I have is, you know, yes, they may have a great turnaround, but what if they're, you know, what if, what if they're, you know, 6-10 and 10 next year? Mm-hmm. What if they're you know, four and 12. I mean, or what if they don't win another game? I mean, what if they have another winless season? We don't know. There's no sort of evidence out there that can point to how does he handle that? Now, Oklahoma lost games while he was here um, and we saw him. And in a lot of ways, he was, you know, every bit as good after losses and in sort of taking the blame and taking the responsibility. You know, they went to uh, Houston and played Houston uh, two years ago, three years ago, and he really, he really pressed. I mean, he was not great. I don't know if he, you could say he was why they lost that game, but he was definitely not playing within himself, and it was really probably his worst performance as a Sooner. And he he owned up to it after the fact. He said, "That's on me. I have to be better." And he was. He was a ton better after that game. So you know, he has taken losses and owned up to them but in a lot of ways you know after those losses it was you know middle tennessee state coming to town or mm-hmm. or, or baylor coming to town or or teams that you can get better against you can get well against in the nfl if you lose you know you might lose one week against the giants and the next week it's the ravens you know how are you how are you going to come out of that if it's week after week after week of really tough uh, opponents and you're not maybe seeing the success and the results. I don't know. I, that, I don't really know that we have a great indicator of that. Um, he's, he's handled so many things really well, um, but how's he going to deal with that if they, you know, lose their first four or lose their first, first six or win one and then lose three? I don't know. I don't really know how that's going to be. I think he's going to handle, um, you know, being – 
uh, the, the the top guy, uh, the face of the franchise. I think that will that will be you know done probably about as well as you can imagine. But um, you know, once the games start, how the results are, how does that play into it? I'm not sure because we've not really seen Baker Mayfield have to deal with that. Great points. Really interesting, Jenny. Um, on the field, when he when he came, so I you know I saw him in person two times when Ohio State beat Oklahoma yeah. uh, there in Norman in 2016, and then when Oklahoma came and, and took Ohio State apart in 2017. That 2017 game, he was unbelievable, and, and I thought he left. He clearly left the field that night as the Heisman Trophy front runner. I did not think to myself that night, that's the number one pick in the draft. Like, it's not that I yeah. didn't think that, but my mind just didn't go anywhere close to that. I was I was not thinking about Baker Mayfield that way because, in a lot of ways, he isn't the traditional quarterback that would go number one. For you, Jenny, yeah. in, in watching this guy and covering this guy, when did you have any realization that he might be this kind of draft prospect? Was it at all during the season, or was it only sort of – in the post-draft process when so many teams seemed to love him? Or did you have any idea as, hey, you know, he's having this Heisman season. I think he might be a great NFL quarterback, too. Yeah, there was probably a point, maybe midway or a little later into the Big 12 season, that I started to, you know, formulate in my head that this guy could potentially be the top overall pick or one of the top picks, you know, first round pick for sure. And maybe, you know, in that top five or 10 range, um, you know, to me, there, there are obvious shortcomings when it comes to Baker Mayfield. He's not the prototype NFL guy in terms of stature. Um, you know, that's the first thing that pops to mind. So my thought was it's going to have to be the right fit for him, mm-hmm. the right offense for him. But I do think, you know, now, I mean, you can look historically and you can see, guys over the decades who've been NFL quarterbacks and been six foot and under, you know, there's, there's, there are those lists out there of really good quarterbacks who fit that bill. But I think more recently you look around and you see Drew Brees, you see Russell Wilson, you see these guys that aren't, you know, the, the, the traditional pocket passer type in the NFL. And, you know, I think that there's the evidence that, you know, you could see him in that role. Um, I don't know that I necessarily thought of him as the, a number one pick uh, candidate until probably in the last few days before the draft, just from the standpoint of guys who are taking number one tend to be, um, you know, you can plug them into any offense mm-hmm. or defense and they're going to work. And so my hesitation in that was I didn't necessarily see, and I still don't see Baker Mayfield necessarily as a guy you can just plug in anywhere and make it go. Now, could he work in, in, in Cleveland? I think there's a chance that, that he will. But, you know, I think he does have some questions. And, you know, how does, you know, his, his height, how does that affect things? He's, he's a guy that is obviously wants to win and he's going to, you know, give it his all. And in a lot of ways, he wills teams to win. You know, I, I think about quarterbacks like that in college football, you know, being pretty rare. You know, you just don't see – just don't see that a ton. You know, I remember when Vince Young was at Texas, and I know he's obviously, he met with, you know, not not great end in the NFL, but, you know, his senior year at Texas, he just willed that team to win ball mm-hmm. games, And it was unbelievable how he did that. You know, you see it in basketball, and it's not uncommon. You know, LeBron, obviously, you guys know that, how he's able to do that. But in football, it's just so rare. You just don't see it because it, it's, you know, it, it's an 11-man game. There's, you know, both sides of the ball, and really good quarterbacks can still, you know, have, have trouble doing that. And I just think that that's something that, that Mayfield has in, um, you know, in his, in, his, uh, in his toolbox. It's just a rarity. So, you know, how does that how does that elevate not only the offense but potentially the defense in Cleveland? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is going to be an interesting thing to watch to see can he be a guy that, you know, brings that team up not just with what he's able to do throwing touchdowns or or moving the chains on offense, but how does that how does that transpire? But you know, I do think that the I uh, you know, 
I think a lot of people have written that are a lot more savvy on NFL potential and drafts and all that stuff have said that, you know, every quarterback in this draft that got taken in the first round has, you know, has things that are working against him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think Baker Mayfield probably has, you know, some, uh, maybe a few more tick marks that you would say, eh, I don't know. But when it comes to winning ball games, as you mentioned, Doug, you know, you see him come to, to Columbus and just, you know, it was like a whirlwind. You oh. know, he just um, he it, it just couldn't be stopped, Tasmanian Devil style. And, you know, we saw that at Tennessee a few years ago. And some of the biggest games and some of the, you know, toughest situations, we saw him play his best. So, uh, you know, and let's remember, too, the 17th season, he's uh, that Ohio State game is coming week two. And they're still in the process of figuring out who they are as an offense without Samaj P. Ryan, without Joe Mixon, without D.D. Westbrook, three guys that saw significant playing time in the NFL this last year. So for them to do what they did under those conditions, pretty remarkable. And, you know, again, how does that translate to the NFL? I don't know. But that guy has an ability to win games. And, um, it, you know, it's going to be different because every week is such a grinder in the NFL. But if he can figure out a way to do that on a week-in, week-out basis, it's going to be really interesting to see how does he affect um, – I know I got off your original question, but how does he affect the Browns, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, week to week? Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, you see that probably middle of the, the conference year and you think this guy can win ball games in the NFL – um, you know, didn't think it was going to be at the, the number one pick, but I still think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how does that translate over in the pro game where it's 16 weeks that, that can be such a such a blender of games for these teams. Something interesting you said earlier, Jenny, I want to play off of for my final question. I, I wrote about this the other day that my only fear, and I'm in, I'm in on Baker Mayfield. I'm in on the whole the whole package on and off the field. I, I think the pick makes a lot of sense. I think he has a very good chance to be successful. The one thing that is a question to me is Lincoln Riley and the idea that I think Lincoln Riley is really good. And And to me, when Oklahoma came to Ohio State, as much as Mayfield and throwing, I think, for 383 yards, just took Ohio State apart, I thought the Oklahoma plan of attack – that game was so good. They had things planned that Ohio State didn't have an answer for and their adjustments in terms of, you know, getting matchups on guys. Mark Andrews got hurt in that game and Oklahoma's offense didn't miss a beat. My only fear is that, and, and you talked about Baker Mayfield needing to fit into an offense. It seemed like he and Lincoln Riley worked perfectly together for three years. Yeah. Riley as the offensive coordinator for two, then the head coach for the last year. My only fear is it. Is it possible that some decent chunk of that Baker Mayfield success was Lincoln Riley's offense putting him in perfect positions to succeed time and time again? And that when he has a great coach who has a great plan, Baker Mayfield can execute it. But if he doesn't have that, if he doesn't have a great offensive coach, then what? Uh, is that yeah. is that any am I on to anything there? Is that any possibility, or do you think that yeah, Lincoln Riley was good, but Baker Mayfield can do it with anybody? Yeah, you know, I think they've been so symbiotic these last three years. It, you know, separating them is 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 difficult. I, you know, we've written that if Baker Mayfield hadn't transferred, there's a good chance Lincoln Riley is not the head coach of Oklahoma today mm-hmm. because you know he fit that offense so perfectly. If he's not in that quarterback room when Lincoln Riley gets hired by Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley's trying to run his offense with Trevor Knight, who had some strengths, but running that, that run and gun and the air raid and all the things that Lincoln Riley did, that was really not in his wheelhouse. What are we what you know, what do we think about Lincoln Riley after two years and his you know, greatest show on earth offense? Does mm-hmm. it look as good if it's not Baker Mayfield running it? And I think that there's serious doubt that it would be um so can't so so the flip is absolutely true you know who would baker mayfield be uh today if let's say bob stoops doesn't fire josh heupel if he doesn't hire lincoln riley 
you know, I don't know. I don't know. There are obviously some other great offensive minds out there. Maybe uh, they, you know, they put somebody in there and it works great. And we're still talking about Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick going to the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, maybe not. And so I think you bring up a great point, Doug. And I, you know, I don't pretend to know the intricacies of Cleveland's offense. Can't say as though I watched a bunch of the Browns the last yeah. couple of years. <laughs> um, can't say a lot of people have. Um, but, you know, they. I think that it, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, Baker Mayfield, um, he really, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, he was known uh, or, or there was a concern about him and how he took care of the ball, you know, interceptions to touchdown ratio at Tech. Um, did he take too many chances? Uh, he was a guy that developed that, but he also we saw him develop year to year. I mean, he was a guy that early in his career uh, he ran a lot, and it, it he he got hurt a couple times. Uh, his his first full year as a starter, his first year as a starter at Oklahoma, uh, got concussed in the TCU game, had to miss the second half. Uh, got really uh, smashed into by Clemson late in that national semifinal. Uh, there's some question that maybe he was concussed there, um, you know, but he was taken off. He was having to run a lot more. We saw that curtailed as he uh, as he evolved and became who he is now. Could he still run? Absolutely, but he didn't do it as much. It was more about you know eluding, not necessarily taking off to to, to make a play. Uh, so you know. Can he evolve? Can he continue to do different things, learn different things? And I think he's shown the ability to do that. Um, and I think that part of that is that's what Lincoln Riley in that offense, you know, where it was going. He needed Riley needed Mayfield to be uh, more of what he was the the second and third year than what he was in the first year. They made it work that first year, but I think it was, you know, let's go this way and not put you in harm's way as much. Uh, let's use the weapons around you. Let's uh, let's build towards that. And Mayfield responded and became that. So he's shown the ability to evolve and, and you know, improve and do different things. How much of that is going to be asked of him? How much is gonna, that is going to be needed from him in Cleveland? You know, I think that, that'll, that'll be uh, important for them to figure out He's done it before. Uh, he's evolved his game, but clearly he's had a really good offensive mind working with him. They've been very, um, you know, in sync with each other. A lot of, uh, you know, close working relationship between those two guys. Can he develop that in Cleveland? He seems like a guy who's who's able to work with just about anybody. Um, so I'm sure that that if given the opportunity. Uh, he will he will do that, but you're right. I do think that there is a question there. You know, how does that translate? Uh, because his greatest success has been with the same guy, and a really uh, you know a, a, a guy that's been willing to try things, has been willing to to build around what can Baker do, what does he do best? Uh, you know, so will that happen in Cleveland? It's a question mark, but I do think Mayfield has shown the ability. To, to evolve and to uh, to work on things that that make him more uh, able to do what Riley wanted him to do. Jenny Carlson from the Oklahoman, great insight into Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma football. Thank you so much for your time, Jenny. This has been fun. Thanks, Doug. All right, that's one part of the Baker Mayfield story. Thanks so much to Jenny Carlson. Make sure you can follow her on Twitter at J-E-N-N-I-C-A-R-L-S-O-N underscore OK. That's Jenny Carlson underscore OK. Thanks to Jenny. Now, guest number two, Sam Monson, pro football focus. Uh, Really good stuff about why they liked Baker Mayfield so much, what they thought of Baker Mayfield being the overall number one pick, what the pro football focus people thought and, and, and why they liked him so much. Sam can be followed at PFF underscore Sam. That's pretty easy. PFF underscore Sam. Another really good interview, about 20 minutes of Sam, talking everything Baker Mayfield on Takes by the Lake. We're here with Sam Monson, the lead NFL analyst for, for uh, Pro Football Focus. Sam, thanks for taking time out of your day. To speak with us on Takes by the Lake, we'll get right into Baker Mayfield. Were you surprised? What we're seeing now is all these stories coming out about 
the Patriots were interested in Baker Mayfield. Other teams had him at the top of their draft boards. Are you surprised at the not just that he went number one to Cleveland, but at the general, it seems like, NFL reception to Baker Mayfield? Not that he was everyone's top quarterback, but but how many teams seem to have interest in him? No, I don't think we're surprised. I mean, we've been saying at PFF that he's been the number one guy all the way through this process. Back in October was the first time we had him as the number one guy on our board, going number one. And that was, I think, the first time we had a we had that kind of process in place. So he's been number one for us all the way through. And I think it's just, it's a bit of validation seeing that a lot of NFL teams felt the same way. You know, obviously, the media overall and, and draft analysts that are speaking in the pre-draft process had a slightly different order. Most of those guys favored Sam Darnold or Josh Allen, but the league itself seems to be closer aligned to PFS in terms of having Mayfield as the number one QB. And that's maybe where I'm surprised, because a lot of times I feel like guys like you, guys at Pro Football Focused, other guys that I, I follow who break down film and analyze quarterbacks a certain way, sometimes I feel like I trust you guys more than I trust the NFL conventional line of thinking. Um, that That's what surprised me a little bit, that maybe that the NFL is matching up with, for instance, your analysis more so than maybe I would have expected. Do, do you feel like maybe that the NFL is coming in line more with the way that maybe some, for lack of a better word, outsiders have analyzed things? Or, or am I overstating things a little bit? I think the league is changing. But the other thing to bear in mind is that there are 32 teams and there are 32 different levels of sophistication when it comes to analyzing anything, not just the draft, but doing any form of uh, kind of an analytics or uh, research or, or um, self-analysis on anything they do. So some teams are going to be fantastic at it. Some teams are going to stick with that tried and true um, method until the last possible mo- moment where they have to change. So some teams are definitely incorporating, whether it's PFF or whether it's broader analytics into their, their process. And those are the teams that I think you can start to see improvements from it. You can see that process going on. So, um, you know, the, the teams, I think, that have really embraced the, the, the quantifiable aspects of all this are starting to be the ones that, that do embrace a guy like Baker Mayfield and, and aren't just enamored with the guy with the biggest arm in this draft class because they see the various other problems with his tape. So they want the guy that has all of the quantifiable aspects at the top and then they'll see uh, they just sort of work from the best possible starting point. This is a game of chances still, and you want to take the guy with the best chance of panning out. I know that Baker Mayfield possesses some traits and qualities that are very appealing to, for lack of a better word, football guys. He's he's a leader. He gets his teammates fired up. He, he has that kind of personality. And John Dorsey with the Browns talked about that kind of stuff. But when you look at him as a player... Is he, and it's sort of what you just described, is he a dream quarterback when it comes to analytic observation? I, I know there are plenty of other quarterbacks who fit those quantifiables, but is, is he a very good example of, of assessing a player this way um, as opposed to assessing a player, like you said, through who has a big arm and that kind of thing. Is Baker Mayfield an analytics quarterback? Yeah, I mean, we've only been grading college since 2014. So we have four seasons of college data uh, translating to the NFL, and he is by far and away the best person we have seen come out of college. So he has the the top two single-season grades we've seen from any quarterback um, and three of the top seven grades. So higher than anything we saw from Jared Goff, from Marcus Mariota, from Carson Wentz, uh, from all those guys. Um, Baker Mayfield is number one and number two. And when you start diving a little deeper into the PFF grade and you start looking at the various components, there's almost no aspect of the game you can look at where he isn't still the number one guy. He was the most accurate quarterback of the draft class, number one in adjusted completion percentage. He was the most accurate on deep passes, number one there. 
the had the highest big time throw percentage, made all the big plays, had one of the best turnover worthy play percentages as well, was best from a cream pocket, was best from a pressure situation, was best outside the pocket. He was just the number one guy across the board. And really, even when you listen to detractors, the thing they talk about is they start giving you reasons why it doesn't count. So it's all down to the fact that he played against Big 12 defenses, which are poor at best. And it's all down to the offense that manufactured him some easy plays. When your initial starting point to knock a guy is trying to tell you all the reasons why the great stuff you can clearly see doesn't count, that suggests that he's pretty good. Obviously, this is an inexact science. The NFL gets first-round quarterbacks wrong all the time, like half the time. But when you evaluate a quarterback this way, in your mind, does does this make him somehow, and maybe I'm using a poor word here, but his, is he somehow a safer pick? Is he more likely to to not be a bust or at least be, you know, average or decent when you analyze him this way? Is there is there any way to look at him that way that we don't know what's going to happen? But when you analyze all these things, isn't he safer? I think he absolutely is. He's not just the best quarterback in this class, but the safest. And I think you can, again, hear it if, when you just listen to how these debates about these prospects are framed. They're framed differently for Baker Mayfield than they are for any other quarterback. So, you know, if you listen to the reasons to the, the, to the narrative surrounding Josh Allen, it's all about why his bad play isn't his fault. So that's a problem to begin with because it means that everybody accepts there's bad play. Um, and then when you listen to the flaws on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, it's all about the things that they do badly and how you can change that at the next level. There, the conversation doesn't exist that same way when it comes to Baker Mayfield. Almost nobody is leading off with what he does badly. They're leading off with with the reason his good play doesn't count or won't translate to the next level. I think that's just a fundamental difference in how all of this stuff is being presented, and it speaks volumes as to what those guys are are as prospects. With Baker Mayfield, it's almost universally accepted that he has been absolutely fantastic. At that point, you're looking for reasons why it won't happen at the next level, and I think that's an inherently safer prospect than taking a guy who hasn't done that stuff and trying to project reasons that he will do something different at the next level. The, the idea um, of having to evaluate anybody, and that's the thing about this, is, I mean, we don't have to keep saying that it's an inexact process because, of course, it's an inexact process. They're not robots. Like you, There is some things that you can't account for, but when you're trying to evaluate a quarterback coming from a college offensive system like this to the NFL. The fact that it seems like there are things that are bringing college offenses and NFL offenses a little closer together. When we met with Baker Mayfield the day he got to Cleveland, the day after the draft, he was talking about all the NFL teams who run some aspects of of what they did at Oklahoma, whether it's the Chiefs or the Eagles or or some other teams. Do you think it, it helps make this an even better analysis because I think some people think there's such a wide gap and, and, and it's so gaping between college offenses and NFL offenses. Is that gap shrinking and does that help the evaluation? It's definitely shrinking. You know, it used to be a catastrophic problem if a college quarterback had never taken a snap from under center. Now most of NFL passing is done from the shotgun anyway, so that has become less of an issue. But every aspect of NFL offenses are becoming more and more like college offenses. And we saw it last season with Carson Wentz playing so well. The Eagles ran more run-pass options than anybody else in the National Football League. They led the league in those by a distance. And that was a big part of why Carson Wentz was able to have such a dramatic turnaround from his rookie season and be so good in year two. The more of those... I mean, those college offenses have been designed that way fundamentally to make life easier for quarterbacks um, because that's the best way of doing things. The NFL is going in that direction too, and it only helps their young quarterbacks when they do that stuff. But, and Sam, you're being very very generous so far, I think, with, with, with the difference in analysis on this. There are still people out there. You hear people on talk radio. You can find some writers, you can find some fans 
who are still banging the drum on just like why this was a wrong pick, why he's not going to make it. Like, wh- What do you think when you hear that? And, and maybe not from fans. Fans can think whatever they want. They pay money. They put their heart and soul into it. If, if fans are apprehensive about Baker Mayfield, that's fine. They can do whatever they want. But when you hear some people in the sports world who are just like, ah, it's not going to work. Like, what, what do you think to yourself about that? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no, there's no logical, um, there's no logical reason that this has a worse chance of panning out than any other pick in this draft. Obviously, the draft is still something of a crapshoot, and no pick is a certain thing. But like I said, we think Baker, Baker Mayfield is not only the best quarterback prospect in this draft, but he's the safest. He's the one that gives you the best chance of this panning out. At which point, I, I don't see any logical argument for the idea that one of these other guys is a better Again, you talked about you. You guys got on him like last fall, right? Because again, you had evaluated his junior season as being so good. You were on him early. D- did you think like the rest of the world was going to come around on him, or did you think this was going to be a situation where you guys were going to maybe end up on an island with your evaluation of Baker Mayfield? No, we were expecting for him to be a good, a well-thought-of prospect, but not a guy that was in the wrecking to go number one overall. We were expecting him to be one of the guys that, you know, potentially slipped a little bit in the first round, ended up somewhere, maybe in the middle of the round, and then we would have to try and and hope to bang the table for him and then hope that he panned out in in, in the NFL so we could point back to when we had him number one overall. Then as the draft approach, it started sounding like the league was a little higher on him than we thought, and he made go number three to the New York Jets. And then obviously, the morning of the draft rolled around and it sounded like the Browns were, were really going to take him number one. When And again, you've broken him down, and, and a lot of you guys, I, I just respect the process of breaking down players and sort of letting letting the game speak for itself. But but you talked about all these things statistically that, that stood out about him, just like sort of watching him. What 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 stood out watching him? Is it his placement on the balls that he throws? Is it his anticipation of routes? Is it like what what is it when you watch him actually perform that maybe you're making this quantitative analysis of it, but when you watch him with your heart a little bit, like, are there what are the wow things to you when you watch Baker Mayfield? I think there's very little that he does badly. He does everything pretty well. He has, I think, he has the second best arm in this draft class as well, which is something that pretty much nobody talks about. Yep. Josh Allen, Allen gets all the credit for having that cannon of an arm and a generational uh, arm strength, but Baker Mayfield, I think, is number two on that list. He has a definitely has a stronger arm than Sam Donald and I think probably has a stronger arm than Josh Rosen or any of the other QBs as well. Um, and there are plays on his tape where he fires the ball 55, 60 plus yards deep down the field and not just towards his receiver but actually hits that guy perfectly in stride which is incredible. There are plays where he displays really good arm strength on firing passes into tight windows. Um, I think he plays like a sort of um, Jeff Garcia that's 20% plus in, in all categories. You know, he's a guy that's just got that kind of fun, off-the-cuff ability of making things happen and making the right decisions at tough times. Do you care how tall a quarterback is when you evaluate all the things you do? Do you care at all? Uh, no. At the point where he has displayed very good play in college at that height, I don't see it suddenly becoming a problem at the next level. You know, Height can definitely be an issue for a quarterback. It makes life tougher. It's obviously more difficult to see over a line when you're six foot versus when you're six foot five. But there's years of college tape that shows how he deals with that. So at that point, it just isn't an issue. He doesn't get passes batted at the line. He clearly doesn't have problems seeing the throwing lanes. The idea that this is suddenly going to be the thing that holds him back at the next level is ludicrous. And and again, in this translation to the Browns and the NFL, what, is there are there certain things you'd ask him to do? Every offense, every coach wants to bring out 
and showcase what any player does best. But when you're talking about a quarterback and the kind of offense you're going to put him in, can, can Baker Mayfield sort of do it all and do anything that he's asked to do? Or is there a certain kind of style, a certain playbook that you would suggest for the Browns if they want to maximize him? No, I think he works with any system. I think there are QBs in this draft who you do need to build an offense around. Um, Josh Allen, I think, is one of them. Lamar Jackson is one of them. I think you need a specific type of offense to, to best play to those guys' strengths and to uh, mitigate their weaknesses. Baker Mayfield, I think you can put him in any offense in the, in the NFL. He will be good. So, again, if, if we had had a quarterback draft – and Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Jared, uh, I mean, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson were all in this mix with Baker Mayfield. You would pick Baker Mayfield. Yeah, we would still be taking Baker Mayfield number one out of all those guys. I don't know, man. I think Cleveland, I think Cleveland's got to feel good about that. Like, Cleveland is just still. Reeling, I think the number one thing that Cleveland is reeling from is Carson Wentz. And and so much, I think, of what went wrong here. Obviously, 1-31 is a problem. But when you see the guy that the Browns had the opportunity to take and didn't take go on and lead a team to a Super Bowl, um, even though he was hurt at the end, I think that has been a gut punch for Cleveland. Like That idea, because I think Carson Wentz did things a lot of people didn't expect. But this this is a this is good news for Cleveland, and, and we don't know how guys will progress. But in evaluating them as prospects, Baker Mayfield was even a notch above that. Yeah, look, other than standing six foot five and running around, which is ultimately something that got Carson Wentz hurt, Baker Mayfield is better at every single thing coming out than Carson Wentz was. He is a dramatically better prospect than Wentz. Now, obviously, Wentz has developed at an extremely high rate helped by the offense that he's in in Philadelphia. So we don't know if Baker's going to get there or if he's going to get there quickly. But as a prospect, as a guy to take in the draft, he is a better bet than Carson Wentz was. So for the Browns, you have to feel good about it. He's taken the best quarterback in the draft. I think you can feel good about number four as well. I think that's the smartest selection they could have made at number four to take a cornerback, a guy that can be a true shutdown player um, at the second most important position in the NFL. I think the Browns absolutely nailed the first round of this draft. Wow. That's music. That's music to Cleveland, Sam. Um, that's, let me give you one more question then on Denzel Ward before we go. What is it about him? I mean, the unique thing about this, and I think a lot of people have latched onto this, is both their guys are a little bit shorter than people normally want at those positions. But when you evaluate Denzel Ward, again, it seems like, you know, maybe he's an inch short of perfect, but there's a lot of other things that he does that seem like exactly what people want a cornerback to do. Yeah, this was an interesting year for corners because typically the league is looking for guys that are six foot plus. But this year, a lot of the top corner prospects were under six foot. Denzel Ward is one. Jair Alexander was another. There were a few shorter corners at the top end of this draft. And it's because those guys are capable of doing things to offset that lack of height. When you look at just the coverage numbers with Denzel Ward, they pretty much speak for themselves. Over the past two seasons, he allowed just 35% of passes on his way to be caught. So when you think of QBs at college completing 65-70% of their passes, when they threw at Denzel Ward, that number got cut in half. Um, there were seven games last season where he didn't allow a catch at all. Um, no, that you know, absolute legitimate literal shutdown play did not allow a reception. And over his college career, he allowed a passer rating of just 54 when he was thrown at. You know, again, the average, certainly the average in the NFL is up near 90. So you can take 40 points off that when you put the ball to, in, in Denzel Ward's coverage. He is a guy that has a shot to be a legitimate number one shutdown corner and cornerback when it comes to, you know, correlation to winning games, when it comes to expected points out of that kind of stuff. Cornerback is the second most important position in the league after quarterback. So potentially, the Browns have dramatically improved the two most important areas on their roster with the first two picks. And last one, Sam, and I'll let you go. Just overall, when you look at what the Browns added in the offseason before the draft, the way they rebuilt their secondary, adding Jarvis Landry and Carlos Hyde, then they added Nick Chubb in the draft to that um, running back position. 
Miles Garrett and, and David Njoku and Jabril Peppers last year. Just like, is it possible that something is happening in Cleveland, that they are maybe on the path to something in your mind? I think this team has been heading in the right direction for a couple of years now, and this has a chance to be the draft that really brings it all together. Um, you know, people have been making a lot of this idea of a complete about shift in terms of direction. I don't think that's true. They they were in a good position anyway. They, you know, changed one personnel guy, brought in another, but there's still a lot of the same people in that building feeding a lot of the same information to the decision makers. And they're, make, they're continuing, I think, to make smart decisions. I think this is a good draft, and this is a reasonably good-looking roster. They were not as bad as 16 defeats last season. They're in a dramatically better position than you know the Detroit Lions were when they couldn't win a game. I think the Browns could easily turn this around quite quickly, and if Baker Mayfield is as good as we've been saying he is all along, that puts this team immediately back on the right path. Sam, thank you so much for your time. I think that's some really valuable information for Browns fans, and we appreciate you joining us on Takes by the Lake. Sure, anytime. And that's it for this Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Jenny Carlson. Thanks to Sam Monson. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to the Browns for drafting Baker Mayfield. I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish about this, but I think they're putting something together. I think there is hope on this roster. I hope that you can be open-minded. At the very least, you can be open-minded to Baker Mayfield because I think when you look at Denzel Ward and David Njoku and Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba and Jabril Peppers, there are a lot of other good people here. Nick Chubb, there are reasons for hope. Keep your mind open to that and keep your mind open to the idea that Baker Mayfield might be the guy for the Browns. We've seen the reports coming out. Mary Kay Cabot has been on this. We saw what, what the report was about what the Patriots said. Other teams in the NFL like Baker Mayfield. Maybe not all of them. Not all of them had him as their first quarterback. But the Browns are not on an island on this. So, so don't think that the Browns took some crazy flyer on this guy. Okay, because other teams liked him too. So keep your mind open that Baker Mayfield might be the guy to lead the turnaround of the Cleveland Browns. We will continue to chronicle that here on Takes by the Lake. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice, and we'll talk to you next time.